How you doing, Will? Hey, Gordon. Doing pretty good. Let's do something homey. Today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've talked a lot about animals in the wild, some of our, uh, a lot of aspects of them. But what we thought we would do is talk about our, some of our pet experiences, both past and present, and just some very pleasant memories of our, of pets. Pets are a wonderful gift from God. Uh, the fact that we can domesticate many animals and actually have them live with us is a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. And it, it, how special they, many times they just become part of the family, some more than others. I've, I've had some pet snakes and it's more just a showpiece rather than a, you're not, not really buddy, buddy. Yeah. You're with not the really, rattlesnake. <laughs> you're not buddy, buddy with, <laughs> yeah. I mean, holding snakes is great, but it's not like, uh, you feel like they're cuddling you, uh, like a, like a golden retriever or something like that Yeah, on the couch while you're watching a show. But yeah, but you, what? Good stuff. So well, I, I grew up, I grew up, uh, well, first six years or so was on a little hobby farm of sorts and up near the West Virginia, Virginia state line and. Mom and dad mm-hmm. had, had pigs and goats and, and dogs and, and all kinds of good stuff. And, and it seemed to, we kind of had some traditions as far as, you know, the kind of, the kind of dog you, you get. And so, uh, I, and I don't know how that began, but I, I just remember growing up with basset hounds. Oh man, basset that's hounds, one of my favorites. They're a beautiful, beautiful animal. They um, get some skeletal issues They later. got some different types of uh, now, how, what's their proportional life? problems. Well, yeah, proportional, <laughs> but that's on purpose. But don't they have- right. Uh, um, do they have a life expectancy that's um, yeah. shorter than most? I don't know. Like I don't fort- know about that. Uh, it's probably, you know, it's probably definitely not the highest, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't remember exact life expectancy, but the Basset Hounds, you, you know, they have this great bay. They, they're a hound dog. They oh, sound like I a hound that. dog. And, yeah, they, and, they, and they're just cuddly and baggy. slobbery they're and baggy. they're baggy skin. And so we had a couple, long, of, long a couple of Bassets growing up. And they're just—they, I mean, they're—they're—they're they're, they're loyal. They're—they're they're sweet with kids. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we uh, now I think we're on the third generation of basset hounds as a family. Wow. Uh, we had two when we were really little. This and, is nice to find out because that's one dog I've never had. But yeah, I, I think I want a basset hound. Yeah, that's they. A, if you live outside a, of town, especially, you know, if you uh, some people might not like having a hound dog next door. They tend to be pretty vocal. These weren't. These weren't. Uh, extremely vocal but they definitely you you heard them when they bayed they're not the, on the they're not the highest uh on the intelligence scale you know i think they might have learned their name right before they kicked the bucket you know they <laughs> and, but they are sweet and yeah. so uh, we had a couple of those and then uh, they they died i remember one of the more kind of just sweet moments and it might mostly be from my parents telling me the stories but uh, one of the two one of the two had really bad arthritis and okay. so the, his his buddy there are two males his buddy would push the food bowl over to him. Oh wow! Because he couldn't walk wow. anymore, and so uh, it's just um, that was kind of my first experience with a pet. Yeah, was growing up with these basset hounds when we were, when we were little kids, and uh, yeah. Any particular story other than pushing the? Uh, uh, that was that was a special one. The 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 next generation, my parents got basset hounds again when we were probably thirteen. And each, they got each one of us one. So that, those are my mom and dad's mm-hmm. dogs. When we, were, when we were young teens, they got each one of us. So my brother and sister and I, two boys and a girl. We got two boys and a girl, uh, Basset Hounds. And uh, 
Joy was my sister's and Zeus was mine. And my brother's was Roscoe. And uh, they, they each had their own personality. They were right. very different from one another. Roscoe, Roscoe tended to kind of loaf along late in the game, slow to go, didn't really want to, didn't want to <laughs> listen. Uh, and he, we have some funny stories about Roscoe uh, because Roscoe would get into trouble. I probably told this story on the show at some point, but I don't think Roscoe so. would. Uh, I would have remembered that you had Bassett Okay. House. So Roscoe uh, came down with some type of, we thought he had a bug. He wouldn't eat. He wasn't pooping. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just looking rough, wouldn't drink. So he took him into the vet and the vet just looked him over and worked him over for a while and didn't come up with much. And then he thought, Hey, I'll just do it a quick x-ray. And Roscoe had eaten a rock. Oh, wow. And that rock plugged him. And so oh, wow. that rock had to be removed. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so Roscoe, Yow. Roscoe, maybe the, not the most discriminating basset hound. It looks like it could be good. Uh, he, I've, I've heard of rock hounds, but that's different. <laughs> Good man. Uh, so Roscoe ate a rock. About a year later, he had a similar type of experience and we thought, oh, he ate another rock. Took him into the vet and he'd actually just decided to um, overdose on acorns. <laughs> and so he had some tannic acid poisoning. So, oh, man. Uh, you know, not the sharpest tools in the shed, but they're sweet animals. They are. Yeah. Um, that's great. Well, you know, you might think that I would have some reptile story, and I actually do. But I'll start with something unexpected for me. You'd think, okay, he's got to—it's—it's got to be something like a snake or a turtle. Yeah. But actually, I had a conventional pet. Huh. Yeah. When I was in junior high, we weren't a dog and cat family. You know, we—we we never really, well, as far as I know, we never really pressed my parents for a dog or cat, but. I was able to get a gerbil mm. in junior high. And, you know, ger- junior high years, very volatile. Uh, I mean, emotional time. Oh, yeah. And I, I have to say that my gerbil, Sid, was very instrumental in helping me uh, weather those turbulent times of the junior high years. <laughs> you know, I would come home. I wasn't the most academic of students at that period of my life. but I love my gerbil. And back in the 70s, there was these habit trails. Some of you older people might know the habit trails that you would buy. It was, they were mostly designed for hamsters. Mm. And my friend had hamsters, but I'd just skip my habit trails for the gerbil. And, but actually just a few stories about Sid in my bedroom before I got the habit trail, he was just in a normal cage with a wheel. And it was on a card table and I had a small, you know, those rickety pool tables that were like a half size yeah. um, that kids can play and you have little sticks and ball. The balls are about the size of uh, golf balls, yeah. you know, and uh, I had a pool table and I would let Sid out and Sid would, was well-trained. He would know not to jump off the table or my bed. I could leave the room and he would run around on my bed and not. Anytime he got near the edge, I said, Sid, and he'd wow. back away. And then I would push the card table up to the pool table and it was a little hop and he'd jump up on the pool table. It was a lot of fun because he would run along the pool table and jump down a hole and run down 
hole and pop up another hole. <laughs> I'd see him. And then sometimes I'd drop a ball down as, and when he was in the tunnel. <laughs> I mean, the ball would roll real slow and I'd hear the ball roll down the hole. Uh, and then I'd hear the ball stop and then Sid would crawl over the ball. And <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's and then great. And the ball would, and it, it was just a lot of fun. I would play with my gerbil be, from when school was out around three all the way till dinner time often. Wow. I'd build mazes for out of card cardboard uh you know fluorescent light tubes. I'd yeah. build mazes out of those or or um you know paper towel tubes and uh it was just a, we just have a lot of fun. Sometimes he would crawl on my bed and get under the covers and I'd see this little bump running around underneath my covers, you know. <laughs> and I'd stick my hand um to stop his movement, you know, and he would try to dig under my, uh, hand under the covers. So we, we would have a lot of fun together. So that was my one conventional pet. That's great. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We, um, we were a dog family and a parakeet family was the other thing. My mom always had a parakeet. Mm -hmm. The parakeets always had the same name, Mm -hmm. which is kind of strange, (laughs) but anyway, that's, that's what we did. And so she had one, she was little. And mm-hmm. so she always kept a parakeet in the house and some of them would live longer than others, but they were all named Chucky. Okay. All Chucky. And, yeah. And so, um, and Chucky was, you know, we'd let him out and he'd fly around and, and he'd kind of enjoy himself. And I, I was in college at the time. I don't know which iteration of Chucky it was by this time, but typically a uh, budgerigar, right? The, yeah. So the, uh, the name of what well, most of us think of as parakeets are budgerigars or budgies and they're yep. all native to Australia, a, a, a tremendous number of, of, of finches and, and parakeets and parrots and parrotlets are, are native to Australia, especially in the desert uh, there. And so this creature, so we called this creature Chucky. And then I remember getting a call from my mom and when I was in college that Chucky had laid an egg. Oh, wow. And so Chucky turns out wasn't not a male this time. <sighs> and apparently Chucky kept laying eggs for quite some time. And so, you know, kind of that old trick, you can um, see how many uh, eggs a bird is capable of laying if you keep removing an egg from the nest. It's one way to... to now, was, was Chucky able to hear and obey commands? No, he wasn't well-trained. He or was her? No, she was not. She, okay. we, nope. We, didn't, like get, we say, didn't get that far. If you say, up, Chucky, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you were setting me up. Sorry. You set me up for that. Yeah, so we always had a parakeet around too. So that was kind of the basset hounds and the budgies were, okay. the, were the household pets growing up. Right. Yeah. Actually, when we were uh, in Virginia, we had all of our, ki- our four kids. And I'm trying to remember what year it was. Um, early on, somewhere in the late 90s, we, we got uh, a dog. I think it was 98 or something like that. Uh, where we got a, a border collie hmm. and Buck, it was our border collie and Buck was just the, uh, th- this was our one, we'd had a couple, we had a dog earlier, but we had to, it, it, uh, ran up to our neighbor ladies. She was an older woman and we just had to do something with the dog cause it scared her, ran up to her and almost caused her to lose her balance when she was gardening. So we, we, uh, had Mindy go to somebody else, but Bucky was a wonderful, 
wonderful dog. And when Buck, we went camping with our friends uh, up in the Appalachians uh, when Buck was eight months old. And, you know, the adults would be hiking at different speeds. The kids were up front and Buck was just having a grand time running back and forth. And somehow in the back and forthing between. Just hurting you. Uh, yeah, hurting. But we were quite separated and somehow Buck lost both groups hmm. just because maybe took a wrong trail and couldn't find the old people or the young people. <laughs> and we yelled and looked all over for Buck uh, on the trails and we had to go back to camp. So we got back to the trailhead, went back to camp and had dinner. And then both Randy and I got in the car and went back up to the trailhead to see what was going on. Yeah. It was amazing. We were driving up and just coming over the rise to, to where the parking area is, where the trails head was. And we saw Buck just sitting right there by the routered sign. Waiting. Waiting. That's awesome. Um, just knew that's, that's where dog. found, found, found the parking area. Yep. Knew that's where we had parked and just waited for us. That's great. It was great. And then when we had, we also got a ferret. And there was a time where we had a three and a half foot iguana that we would like let walk around the house occasionally. And then the ferret would occasionally come out. And so it was pretty funny. It's not like they interacted a ton, but <laughs> Buck and the iguana and the ferret would, would interact, you know? Oh yeah. So the ferret was very, very inquisitive. So it would uh, jump around Bucky and, you know, prance and try to get Buck to play and Buck didn't know what to do. and. Sometimes, <laughs> and then Fair would sometimes try to harass the iguana, and the iguana just would sit there. <laughs> but the iguana I'm busy we, keeping we, my metabolism we, low. We we, we Leave made me alone, the, furry animal. We called the iguana just kind of like Chucky. We we called the iguana Patrick. Until mm -hmm. Patrick laid like uh, I think over forty eggs. Wow, unfertilized. <laughs> Yeah, uh, eggs, but they were deposited all over the house when it oh, was out. Wow. Well, so a bunch were in the cage, cool. but then he, uh, she kept on laying. And uh, how big just, were they? Yeah, the eggs were, you know, inch and a half long. Yeah. Some of them were pretty well firm, like leathery. Some were very thin shelled. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just then, then we named named her Patricia. <laughs> From Patrick to Patricia. That's wonderful. Yeah, well, I had a couple. I had a couple herps growing up too. Uh, my That's first good, one good was a gecko. Oh, wow. um, I had a toke gecko. I was fascinated with a couple of groups of herps in particular, and geckos always have fascinated me mm -hmm. um, just because their their abilities, yeah. um, their their suction cup like uh, foot appendages yeah. or, or parts of their feet that allow them to scale almost anything. Yeah, they, um, they th can. And it's, really... and it's not suction. It's uh, what the scientists have discovered is all of those tiny, tiny uh, filaments all over these toe pads yeah. that have actually atomic forces that they have such intimate contact with the surface that they're walking on, the substrate, that they all of the collective atomic forces hold hold the animal to the wild yeah yeah and so i had this little i didn't have this gecko for long unfortunately he just he he, he was difficult to care for yeah um, some of those he didn't want to eat exotic, he didn't seem to want to eat sometimes those exotic lizards are 
Yeah. So he didn't, he didn't live too long. I had, I had a basement room. And so I, I, uh, which was really wonderful when we lived, we moved out, out of the city. We lived in Richmond for a few years and moved out to, uh, to the, to the country near Shenandoah region, Shenandoah Valley. And I got to walk out my back door to the woods and the pond. And and so it was a fun growing up exploring there. And, and the one, the one herp I did have for a longer period of time was, um, was an Eastern king snake. Oh, nice. And he was, he was a pretty, he was a pretty cool creature. Um, and I had this bad habit of, well, I guess I can't call it a habit because it was unintentional. Can it be a habit if it's unintentional or like not? Well, uh, it can be a habit of megalod, what? 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 Well, well, it's sleepwalking. So I don't know how you define that. It can't, I don't think it can be a habit. Um, so I would sleepwalk and I'd been known to, to climb a tree. Uh, sleepwalking, and uh, in in this instance, I was on a camping trip, and and I heard the creek nearby, and thought there was wow. a flood, so I climbed the tree, and wow. realized I was in a tree. <laughs> um, this was a habit of opening the the uh, king snake's aquarium lid when I was sleepwalking. Wow, zero recollection of it, and I I started doing this in the winter, mm-hmm. and thankfully, the good Lord was kind, and my, his name was Mister. Mister would simply curl up under the wood stove. And I'd find him in the morning. Wow. Underneath the wood stove. The wood stove is in the basement. <laughs> right. And so I just walk out my door and uh, I, was, I was horrified the first time it happened and then found him curled up under there and it happened at least two more times. Yeah. And then I did it one fateful spring day when the wood stove wasn't going and it was warmer. And it found- Never saw him again. Yeah. Yeah. Mom They're was not really pleased good. about that. Yeah. She was sure that thing was in the house somewhere for a good chunk of time. Yeah. Dad had to talk her into letting me get that snake. So that was a big coup to be able to have a snake right. in the house. Right. Mom was not a big fan. Right. But she, right. she went along with it to her credit. That's, that's Thanks, great. mom. Yeah. Well. And, well, let me add, add just one more thing here. The, yeah. the neat part of raising that snake for me, um, I don't know. Not, I wasn't necessarily looking for uh, a, lot of, a lot of interaction. I mostly just like to observe. And so, but, but I raised mice. And fed the snake, uh, the mice that I raised, and I really enjoyed that. And then I made the mistake also of bringing him into the backyard and just letting him on the gra- on the grass and see what he would do. And after that moment, the first time I brought him out, there was a wildness that was sparked by that experience, where mm-hmm. he was not a docile snake anymore. He became increasingly aggressive. After that occurred, right, which like, I thought think was kind of interesting. The call of the wild, yeah, a little taste of freedom there. Yeah, and he realized he was living in a box, right. But it sure was fun. I loved watching him constrict the mice. I just, it was, yeah. it was so fascinating, yeah, and so quick. Yeah, it is fascinating. Again, it's always a, a reminder of the fall. But yeah, uh, yeah, I have a, a pet rubber boa, and uh, currently, now, currently, yeah. and what was interesting is that a number of people, sort of the running joke in this uh, this town and the school, is since I've moved back to Idaho, I have uh, looked hard. I don't know if I mentioned you this. You have mentioned I this mentioned, to me. So you, have I you mentioned scolded, it on the I don't the, know if you've uh, mentioned episode? it on the show. Yeah, I've, uh, been, so I've been here for 18 and a half years, and uh, I've looked hard and earnestly uh, for rubber boas. Now- in good habitat. How many have you found? None. Zero. Now, the funny thing is, I know where to look. You know, I've looked in good habitat where they are known to be found. Yeah. And uh, I've just never, and I've flipped countless. And I haven't, I, have, I haven't looked at all for them. 
and I found two. You've found two. And Sorry a, a bunch, I know, in. don't, yeah, go ahead. Um, <laughs> I have, so none. Now, you know, a few years ago, we were on a freshman hike. Uh, we have this, um, uh, the new incoming freshman before school starts, we go out to Kamiak Butte and hike. And uh, I, I go, I'm sort of the leader, maybe uh, one or two other faculty go. And we just kind of get this, these new students, you know, Get them out in the woods. Get, get them out in the woods. And I was walking down the trail and uh, Dr. Jonathan McIntosh was about, I don't know, 50, 60 feet ahead of me on the trail. And he was right down on the, on the left side of the trail. He goes, what's this? And I jog up to him and it's a rubber boa. You know, it's <laughs> like, you know, he's... <laughs> <laughs> I, I pick it up, uh, you know, I identify it, but that didn't count because I didn't, I didn't find it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. So, and a number of people that I know, like, well, you said you found two and uh, a number of people in our church have, oh, I found a, I saw a rubber boa the other day. And, you know, I've had a couple of people give me adult rubber boas because they know I like them. And they're, and, but, they're, but remarkable they're, they're remarkable. They're really slow and they have a, beautiful, shiny, uh, smooth, almost like when you feel their scales, it's like satin. Yeah. If, if you have a snake phobia or you, you if don't you have like a, them yeah. for some reason, it's good to start with the rubber. It's uh, is a, the solution. My 12 step program to yeah. getting over snakes <laughs> is start with a rubber boa. Start with a rubber they, boa. They're so docile, slow moving, really chill. Anyway, um, I've had people give them to me, but because they were adults, um, they just would, they were, they were acclimated to wild food and there was, they just wouldn't eat ah. any, any domestic mice. Bummer. And so, um, the first one I had, I was trying to get to feed. It was getting more and more than I should have let it go, but it, I tried to force feed it some burger and, um, no wouldn't, go. Wouldn't go. And by then the digestive tract was sort of shut down and. And so it died. The second two that I got wouldn't eat either, but I let them go. Yeah. Um, I did that recently in my science room. These little garter snakes tried to feed them every manner of food I could think of. They wouldn't eat. They would drink. I actually watched them drinking. Right. Gulping water. And so we finally let them out. Some get really uh, accustomed to a particular food type. Some garter snakes will predominantly eat uh, frogs. Some will eat fish. Some will eat worms. You know, it's like. Just like people, they have their favorite foods, what they're used to. Yeah. But these rubber bow wouldn't eat. But then I had a, a, a person in our church uh, and found a rubber boa baby hmm. uh, that was about four inches long, Look, looked like an earthworm. Yeah. I mean, it was tiny and gave it to me. And I, well, this is going to be tricky, but because it was young, it wasn't, it hadn't been imprinted on wild food. Uh, and so, but I knew it was super small, Yeah, you know, and I thought, how's this going to eat a mouse? Obviously not a full grown and not even, I mean, these tiny rubber boas, size of an earthworm, four inches long would eat baby pinkies. Oh, they could I eat mean, pinkies. But tiny pinkies. I mean, pinkies that are right out of the like shoot. day one. Day one pinkies. Yeah. Uh, and it would, it would, it, I mean, it was a stretch. To see an earthworm-like size yeah. snake eat a pinky. But they would do it. Yeah. 
And wow. so I, that was six years ago. And, um, and you still got this I one. I still got this one. He's nice. uh, almost 20 inches long. Wow. What's and, his name? Uh, Bart. 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 Why? Bart the snake. Why Bart? I I just like just seems to like name snakes that have very unintimidating, non-scary names. Okay. Trying to get Don't people call him over. Draco. No, nothing like that or, yeah. Yeah. Nothing creepy. I like it. Yeah. And so Bart, Bart's doing well and um, hopefully he'll grow to 30 inches. You know, yeah. They, and maybe, yeah, that, maybe there's, you know, a lady I, out that, there for Bart. That'd well, be you know, cool. I haven't sexed it, so I don't know for sure if it's male gotcha. or female, but I just went with Bart. I have a, there. I have a herp in my classroom now that was my, it's, it's my son's. Uh, we have this thing where, you know, around nine years old or so, I let them kids get a, a pet of significance. And so Abraham decided to get a Russian tortoise. And so we went for it. We got the big tank. We, and we got this little, little tortoise that's native to the Russian, you know, Northern Asia, which is mm -hmm. pretty amazing that they can live up there. Yeah. Uh, but this guy is just fabulous. You know, I'm not much of a warm and fuzzy uh, pet guy, but I just love watching him. He's such a joy. Mm -hmm. And uh, he he gets a lot of attention there in the classroom. And so we'll give him a warm bath. I'll fill up a little plastic tub with maybe two two inches of water or so. And I'll set him in the bath and he'll just kind of splay out. Yeah. He'll splay out and he'll just relax. And then he almost always defecates in the water right. to finish things off. And then I know right. he's definitely good and comfortable and then clean him <laughs> up and put him back in his, <laughs> put him back in his tank. And uh, one of the great things is just watching him eat. It's just. It's just oh, yeah, fun great, to watch them extend their heads. You see yeah. all those folds in the neck and uh, just, he loves lettuce. He's very picky. We've tried him on a lot of different types of uh, plant material and he really- Does he eat good lettuce, like healthy <clears throat> lettuce or iceberg lettuce? Uh, he tends to like the really crunchy white stems, uh, probably the least healthy uh, the part least of the lettuce. Yeah. Right, absolutely. He loves the crunchy iceberg. He'll eat the romaine. Right. But he tends to prefer the crunchy white parts of the lettuce. Right, right. Um, he, and, uh, he'll, he ate a little bit of spinach when we tried it on him, but he wasn't a big fan. He's definitely, he definitely has his, um, he knows what he likes. Right. And he knows that uh, he's in a pretty good spot. And so. Um, yeah, they're great salad eaters. They're, they're yeah. herbivores. Although they'll, you know, usually the young ones will eat a few more you know, animal matter like crickets, but then once they get older and older, more, more and more, more and more, they become herbivores. And it's a, just a testament to God's design of cellular metabolism that a creature can eat the crunchy stems of a iceberg lettuce and continue to live and grow and thrive. <laughs> like it can actually get all it needs out yeah. of that somehow. That's amazing. Well, it's, it's getting some other stuff, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's not. I mean, that's about, that's, that's about all he's getting. And maybe you'll scold me afterwards and tell me I need to supplement no, no, his no, diet. Not. And I'm fine with no, that. No, no. But that's really, that's really all <laughs> he's, he's getting. He's doing fine. We've tried frozen fruit. Uh, we've tried regular fruit. We've tried all kinds of stuff. And wow. he just wants his lettuce. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. What's his name? His name, uh, his name is Mr. T. Mr. T. Mr. T, the tortoise. Yeah, my nephew, Nate Wilson, has two African sulcated tortoises. I've heard about these yeah. creatures. Sulcated. Yeah, they're like third largest tortoise in the world next wow. to the uh, Galapagos 
and the Aldabra tortoises, uh. which, you know, the island giantism, those, those are big tortoises. Yeah. But these, these tortoises get larger than a watermelon. Um, they're sort of, you know, a lot of tortoises are about the size of a cantaloupe or yeah. some a small watermelon. These are bigger than that. I think they're getting close, if not more than two feet long. They're, they're big. Yeah. They're big tortoises. Are they internal? Are they in, inside tortoises? Are they outside well, in the summer? Or? Summer outside, but they've built a shed for them. Nice. Uh, uh, in the winter, Tasha, Tasha, uh, or Tasha, Tasha, and Rosalinda. Those are the tortoise sisters. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I haven't seen them in a while, but, uh, and I've got a couple more, I've got a, a ball python, I've got a gopher snake and I've got a corn snake. Yeah. Uh, but corn my, my, looking. my rubber boa just really, really like special creature. They're special. They're also native, obviously. Yeah. So that's why I've been looking for them here. Yeah. Maybe it's this summer. Maybe it's this summer. Summer of the rubber boa. I will keep Bart. Bart's good. I'm uh, there. I'm proud that I've raised it from a tiny, tiny snakeling to almost an adult. No, that's impressive. Six so, years, you said. Yeah. What's their lifespan? You know, you're doing well if it's over twenty. Okay. Um, they usually succumb to some kind of cancer or something. Uh, old age. Yeah. I had a uh, gray banded king snake that was, I think, over twenty two years old, and uh, it was, I mean, it, I don't know if you have ever seen it. You can tell a cat or a dog when they're old, but this snake looked old. Gray in the face. Well, yeah. It had cat <laughs> His whiskers I mean, were the white. Cat, the cataracts, the, the yeah. eyes were, eyes were glazed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's always that cloudiness when they are about to shed. Right. This was, and, and it was more or less blind. And when it, when I held it, I mean, just was very feeble. Mm. Um, and it had a, a benign tumor somewhere in the thoracic region, mm. about a third of the way down. It looked like it had eaten a mouse, but it was, but it was a little too high for it to be a stomach, you know, and it was quite the tumor, but it didn't seem to block his, uh, esophagus or her, uh, sorry. What was the great banded king snakes? King snakes are so beautiful. Sorry. Um, Zeta was her hmm. name. And when Zeta would eat a mouse, the mouse would get past that tumor yeah. through the esophagus. Hmm. And so, but eventually it went the way of all flesh and instead of giving it a Christian burial, I just pickled it for my, you know, in a, <laughs> in a jar, uh, alcohol jar. So that that's my an students, interesting point that my you students, make. My students, my students, um, can yeah. see, see the, uh, various. We've had a lot of Christian burials for pets, uh, various houses here and, um, and growing up. Yeah. And it's a meaningful thing. I think just maybe to end on this note, yeah. uh, we value the life of our pets. We do. We, we, you know, as a biologist, I can definitely fall into the trap of thinking about creatures in, in, in a more detached way. Right. Um, and, and, and some of the things I like to study about, about creatures is by nature more detached. Um, yeah. But having a pet, it really is a special time and you can. You and can they teach have, your kids so much about how to care for God's creation through that process. Right. They, they and, become attached. And they're not automatons. They have yeah. feelings. They have emotions. I mean, there's some kind of continuum, but, you know, the, you know, you don't know what, what a snake is thinking or a turtle, but, well, you know, sometimes you see personalities in some of these reptiles, mm. but 
you know, with the mammal pets, I mean, they definitely have joy. They have sadness. They, yeah. you know, it says in Ecclesiastes, who knows if the spirit of an animal goes up or down right? Uh, when it dies. So Solomon, when he's writing this, uh, is assuming it has a spirit. Right. So it's not if, but whether, you know, what does it do when it dies? And yeah. He punts on that question. Yeah. But um, it's interesting. We we shouldn't be thinking of these animals as just you know organic robots. Yeah, uh, they they do have feelings, and um, that's why Solomon says a righteous man has regard uh, for the life of his beast. You know, there is a yeah. Amen. Take care of them. Take care of them. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, Gordon. We'll see you. See you next time.